You're listening to The Fully Occupied Show, presented by Occupier. Hey everyone, Matt from Occupier here. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back to another episode of the Fully Occupied Podcast. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe on your favorite listening platform or just shoot us a note at marketing at occupier.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts on future guests, topics you'd like to hear about, ask us any questions you have, or just say hi. Enjoy the show. Michael, welcome to the Fully Occupied Show. It's good to see you. Hey Matt, good to see you. Yeah, it's been a while, but I'm, I'm sure you've been a busy man and you know, trying to get work done before the summer slowdown kicks in here. It's uh, easing into it, easing into it. Yeah. So uh, why don't you tell our audience uh, a little bit about yourself, your background, uh, what you're up to these days? Well, um, I've uh, worn many hats over many years and sort of came, you know, the last few years have clearly been um, working in and around similar spaces to you, Matt, but uh, came out of a, a, a traditional real estate career and it came into real estate actually through, a, through an interest in cities. So I sort of like uh, chapter one for me was working in New York City in, in city government, actually saving the city when it was actually in, in a very different place than it is today. Uh, and then I spent 30 years at Tishman Spire building up an in, in international business. So I spent most of that time overseas, went to Berlin when the wall fell, uh, spent over 20 years in London and spent many of those years on a plane in lots of different <laughs> places, but built built up um, you know, a series of of businesses in different cities around the world, really, uh, Europe, India, it's sort of been a whirlwind, uh, wild ride. Uh, and in the last, you know, with the emergence of, of different technology and different forms, I, I sort of started, you know, sort of a formalized innovation effort within Tishman Spire, which uh, brought me firmly into startup world, which is really where my interest and excitement's been for several years. And so I've been spending all my time in that space. Um, Part of that time uh, engaging as a venture partner with Navitas Capital, which is a, a prop tech VC, uh, and part of my time with my own group called Fuse Strategies, where I sort of invest and advise um, startups in different spaces, things that interest me, and where I can bring my own experience to bear and hopefully help add some value. Cool. Yeah, I would imagine that 30, 30 years at Tishman and then working in the government uh, capacity, working internationally, you've got many different perspectives uh, through which you could look at uh, prop tech solutions uh, and just generally have a very good understanding of where the real estate space is today and where it might be headed. And even though there's been just like a proliferation of prop tech over the last, call it 10 years, it still seems like it's somewhat in its infancy. And, and you know, we can hit on prop tech a little bit later, but um, what I'd love to hear from you is, I mean, with the backdrop of being kind of sandwiched between a global pandemic and a potential recession, what's been happening uh, to space, I guess, over the last two to three years and where do you see it going? And when I say space, I mean anything that could be occupied by a commercial tenant uh, for whatever capacity, right? So it feels just like there's just this huge kind of question as to how space is utilized right now. And you know, what is the ultimate answer going to be? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, a big one in different ways. There's lots of things to talk about. But, um, you know, one of the things that I always uh, really have enjoyed, you know, and, and if you're developing a building, right, 
and let's say it's an office building, it's a headquarters building, or it's a building that's going to yeah, be the headquarters for a business. In the past, you know, companies that were sort of gearing up to make a move, um, whether it's into a newly built building, which is, is one extreme where they really can get exactly what they want, or they're moving into an existing building where nonetheless, it'll be, the building will be built out to suit their needs. That's one point in time when that organization has been really studying itself strategically, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the funny thing is, in the, in the old days, right, that would happen once every 10 to 20 years, right? right. And every, everything in between, it was sort of just revert back to just normal day-to-day operations. One way to think about what the pandemic has brought, what the, you know, the onset of sort of hybrid work, right? The whole yeah. question of how can organizations um, most effectively get done what they want to get done um, is that that process is now ongoing, right? So most organizations, as opposed to, you know, the old days where they would just assume in terms of, again, offices, and we can talk about retail, we cannot, this applies in all sectors, actually. But in terms of offices, where there's a lot of discussion these days, it really used to be that the office was assumed to be the place where everybody would be whenever they're working, right? To do the work. And, yeah. and maybe there'd be business travel, but basically work gets done in the office. Now, between the fact that really over the last, well, 20, 30 years, many businesses have sort of been recognizing that they want to focus on their true core competencies, right? Where are they really adding value in their business? And otherwise, they are looking to outsource or share a solution with others who could basically provide for some of those services that are essential, but don't have to necessarily be done within that organization. So that sort of movement of certain functions away from the headquarters has has been happening. And now you have this additional reality that most companies have recognized that, wow, you can actually be perfectly productive with many types of functions, you know, depending what it is and depending who it is. And, you know, it's not for everybody. And there's the real conclusion is that it's no longer one size fits all. And so it's much more dynamic. And that reality is a proxy for all kinds of things that have been happening and relates back to space, right? So space now needs to be adaptable to a very dynamic set of needs, right? And those needs, so if you, if you think about those needs as the demand side of an equation, right? Mm-hmm. The demand, demand has become much more intelligent and specialized, right? So, so companies or users of space are much more attuned to what are they doing in that space at that time, right? What, what's going to happen in this space? What do I need this space for specifically, right? And to the extent I need to do something different at a different time, can that be done in the same space or is that going to be done right. in a different space? So the, the, the specialization on the demand side leads straight into the need for more uh, sets of possibilities on the space side, right? So on the supply side, you need space that adapts to a broader array of needs, right? And so that's a tricky dynamic, right? But but what it really leads to is that that the demand breaks down and and meets up with solutions that are much more more available on an on-demand or a more flexible basis to meet that need. So I think it all leads to a different form of how you know, the user engages with a space. It leads to different form of leasing, clearly, which is at the core of what you guys are doing. Uh, it leads to 
the reality that most organizations, most enterprises are, are really needing to engage with space through a bigger number of arrangements, right? More leases, yeah. more scenarios. more connections, yeah. more scenarios, more, more types of space that they need to access in different ways. And that all becomes possible only through, essentially through software that allows the demand to understand better what it actually needs and for that to connect with through agreements with space to, to make that space available. And so that's a big chunk of what is and has been happening sort of on the prop tech side, which, which I, I find you know, specifically interesting. Yeah, there's two kind of inputs to the equation that came to mind while you were speaking. One is the employee, because it seems to me in all the conversations that we've been having on this show and just in general is that whereas 30 years ago, as you explained, you're going through this cycle of every 10, 15, 20 years of doing this big, broad kind of strategy around your business. And that culminates in some massive real estate transaction that you set and you forget for 10 more years. And the employees are just expected to come into the office and do their job and go home and be people outside the office. Right. Whereas now you're actually solving for how do you get done what you need to get done as a business via the people that are your, you know, your kind of like human capital. And those people are now empowered and able to do what they need to do in their function in several different scenarios. So I'd be curious your thoughts on if you've heard from some other big corporate occupiers or just you know people in general how they're engaging their workforce to figure out those 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 solutions because the end solution is like well i mean we have 10 different solutions here because we have all of these different modalities of how people can get their job done um and it's in and having an office is only one of them so like what is that like what does that calculus look like no it becomes i mean look it it it, it goes straight to the core of uh how an organization actually manages itself, right? And and the model, it's a cliche, but the top-down model where you sort of roll up the collective needs of the organization, you sort of parse through it and come up with a set of solutions which tries to take care of as many different people, but with you know, in the most efficient way, right? But that, yeah. that, that sort of has limitations where you sort of set policies for a whole organization top-down that really is going to miss a lot. So this really calls that into question. And many organizations are much more focused on how, how most individuals in that organization are spending their time. And clearly, almost all organizations for some time spend time just getting stuff done that they have to get done. But then as it rolls up and as they engage with, within the organization, they're more often than not engaging either with their teams, right? They're part of a team uh, that needs to be organizing itself to collaborate as it must and and that team in turn those teams all roll up into an organization which periodically also needs to get together with other teams or as a whole those things need to be thought of in parallel right yeah without one necessarily taking priority over the other it's really it it, it sort of calls for both a bottom-up solution as well as that you know that allows for the most effective you know top-down thinking right but I think a lot of a lot of the authority is, is being dispersed, right? So you're you're, you're seeing more team led decision making as opposed to the past. Yep, and and it's happening on a more regular basis. Yeah, because as, as you hire and people move and have different you know desires of how they want to spend their working day, you have to accommodate that now more. Yeah, which then results in more frequent real estate decisions or 
more constant monitoring of what you're doing from that cost basis uh, of your company from a real estate perspective, right. from a risk mitigation, from a cost control perspective, and from an employee uh, well-being perspective. There's just, there's just so many more decisions that need to be made on a more frequent basis rather right. than that 10-year, uh, okay, we're going to move this office decision. Um, the other input that I was thinking about earlier was, look, we could talk about the physical real estate piece of it because it's not like you can wipe the commercial real estate inventory off the map and start anew with all of these new buildings that accommodate what people need to do in the space as they determine that. So are we looking at a physical environment that gets completely changed? Or are we looking at a, a different type of building envelope that can handle different uses. Uh, I, I live in Boston and it's almost like every every office building that was vacated during the pandemic is being converted into lab space. So there's that response to demand. I don't know if there's a, a, a trend yet in terms of how office space is now being kind of reconfigured to handle um, different uses, but it just seems to me like, you know, you look at the skyline of New York or Boston, you got a lot of buildings that are old, right? And how do you work within the envelopes of the physical space to be able to react to this more real-time kind of real estate decision-making from the demand side. Right. All right, look, and one reality that's coming clear every day is, is that we have tended to think about buildings as single-use buildings, right? Most buildings are an office an building office maybe building. with yeah. some ground floor <laughs> stores or residential building. But now, actually, I mean, look, everything is in the process of becoming mixed use. It is de facto mixed use, right? And it starts with the fact that all of us, given mobile technology, are working, we're living, we're doing whatever we're doing, wherever we are, right? Yep. And we're shopping, working, living, wherever we are, right? And I think, actually, that we're going to start to see, you know, cities look carefully at why do they have single-use zones they're going to allow for a lot more flexible reuse of buildings and buildings are going to be intentionally you know moved into sort of mixed uses right i think you will start to see much more of a blend of uses within buildings now highly specialized uses lab space can't go into just any old building but or a fa or a you know, certainly yeah <laughs> look i spent you know, over 25 years in Europe where there are many buildings that have been around for centuries and at times have been residential buildings, at times were office buildings, at times have been used differently. And yep. and that's probably the way buildings should be thought about, right? So that transformation will happen. I mean, I actually think a lot of the, the older uh, office buildings that have smaller floors, they all already are being converted to residential in many cases, right? Yep. Um, and that'll continue to happen. And, and as that happens, too, that, you know, some of that will be driven by just technology solutions that allows, you know, users who have different needs, if they can find solutions, to those different needs in, in the same building, they're they're oftentimes happier than having to, you know, go to different places for them. Right. So that's all part of the equation, too, I think. Yeah. I mean, touching on the technology piece of it, there's PropTech is such a wide ranging I don't know, category. Right. There's physical building technology, there's ESG technology, we're squarely in the vertical SaaS space for, you know, data management technology, you name it. I mean, what are some of the big, I guess, categories or trends that you see that are, I don't know, coming in parallel with this, you know, phenomenon that are, are going to help 
move it forward or at least enable the the world at large to like react to this shift yeah look i mean broadly what you know you you mentioned data management but the kinds of things that you know the occupier will pull together right i mean that that basically represents how does a user engage with the space what's happening on the user side of the equation right the more you know if you're the owner of the building and you're running the the real estate you know, you'd love to have access to real-time information in terms of the number of users in a space as that ties directly into the systems that bring air conditioning and services to that space. You can actually customize the delivery to be much more efficient, which, again, represents a better, more sustainable solution that will be of interest to, to sort of ESG-type data platforms that are going to be in a much better position to pull actual meaningful data out of buildings right so yep. you know all that is in the process of coming together and what that leads into is actually you know the data that as an investor you'll be able to rely on when you when you invest in real estate is going to be much more robust right in real estate i've often wondered why is it if you buy a bond a corporate bond there are a bunch of analytics that are set up basically looking at the the credit of the, the, the company, right? But basically you can buy a triple B plus bond, right? And you can get a very, that, that gives you a very specific definition of the nature of the risk, mm-hmm. at least that the analyst associates with that piece of right. paper, right? right? You buy a building, most buildings are still talked about as, yeah, that's an A building or, you know, there, there yeah. are no actual definitions of what you're buying. I mean, everyone understands, yeah, there's risk represented in, you know, the length of the lease, what happens at the end of the lease, what yeah. happens if the rent if roll, the turnover, the, all the of credit that stuff. of the tenant, yeah. all that. But yeah. those risks will be um, made much more transparent. Actually, there will be a much more nuanced sense of risk as it relates to real estate through the data that's going to flow through all this, this stuff. I think yeah. uh, inevitably it will. And actually, it'll, it'll start to, I think, I, I, my bet would be it will have an impact on you know, the liquidity of real estate. And I think the, the sense of risk or the different types of risk within the, the real estate will be much better understood. Yeah, I think it's gonna ultimately end up with a more democratization of real estate investing because there are key real estate developers and investors that probably benefit from that level of opacity in the market because it blocks other people out from really even understanding how to value a piece of real estate or thinking that they could uh, uh, participate in the investment of it. Um, so th- you, you've got a very kind of like top heavy institutional investment community that controls, you know, the most of the deal activity. And, you know, if data can be harnessed to show the other tranches of investors that look, I can, I can subscribe to this data source and understand the credit of tenants in this market and be able to then invest in something from crowdsourcing platform or anything where that information is now going, like you said, going to be much more transparent and then it could be utilized by many more people rather than your typical institutional investor. I mean, I think that's right. Personally, I'm not convinced that actually the, I mean, I think the democratization of the information, certainly I agree with, I'm not so sure that the nature of how real estate's owned is going to change dramatically. Yeah, I, I think that there will be more opportunity for retail investors to access real estate investment. But I don't think 
that overwhelms. I mean, I think institutional capital will still dominate the ownership of commercial real estate. Yeah. Especially when they have access to more data. They right. can then right. go to their investors and say, look, we know, we know with much more certainty how we're going to perform on this right. fund because we have much more data at our fingertips. Right. right. Um, but it, I, I love what you said about the demand side of it because that's, that's our kind of thinking from the occupier perspective is whole downstream effect of prop tech happens because somebody needs to use space for something. And if we right. could harness all the data around that use case, then that informs the leasing decision, which then informs the construction decision. It informs the building systems, the maintenance, the operations. So all of that kind of comes be after the demand, right. Um, right. which I mean, you can only imagine when tenants have the power to harness all the data that's available to them, like how accurate their real estate decisions are going to be. So right. I could talk for day days about that. but. Yeah. So are, are there, there specific um, categories of prop tech that excite you the most? Well, um, I've spent a lot of time also in just how we've built buildings, you know, the, the way the nature of construction, how it's organized is full of opportunity, mainly because it's also been pretty opaque and inefficient, right? You just, you've had an enormously inefficient process. In some ways it's totally understandable because it's highly, highly, specialized and you you really do need to beginning with the design of a building through to how it actually gets organized for delivery right the construction process it's very fragmented right so yeah that that too there are a number of really exciting things happening in that space i think that and we've talked a lot about office but i think that you know clearly we probably saw disruption true disruption first in the retail sector right and there's but by now there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening in the retail sector some of that clearly is very much in your space too but initially people thought well everything's going to go online right and by now very few retail brands are actually pursuing business purely online because they recognize you really need to bring the product in front of people right so then it's back to the old dilemma. Well, okay, do you open up a store? And for how long do you sign a lease? And how do you do that? And now all kinds of really interesting solutions are coming up where brands are able to access space shorter term to, to get in front of their customers often enough so the customer can see and feel the product. And they still are going to buy online off, often, but they also can access the product um, in a specific place at a specific time when they know it's going to be there. And all that stuff can be curated and, and, and the choreography of that is all really interesting in the retail space and very much in, in process right now as we speak. So, yeah. and the whole, you know, the logistics, logistics generally in terms of like how you, how you bring those goods together in that space, you know, at, for whatever slice of time a retailer is going to engage with their customers, that's that's that too is really interesting how that all comes together. Yeah, yeah. The retail, retail market is experiencing a lot of churn with, with those types of decisions. We're we're seeing it on in our customer base too. We have one customer who they basically are like retail as a service for a brand. So if you're a DTC or e-commerce brand and you want to step into the brick and mortar space. They'll go lease the space for you. They'll build out the whole back end, the uh, supply chain logistics of everything. And really all you need to do is make sure that your uh, your brand is represented well on the space. So it's a, it's a totally different world out there on the retail side for sure, even in food right. and beverage. Right, right. 
Um, let's hit up our uh, rapid fire questions because I think we could talk for hours about this stuff. Um, <laughs> you mentioned in your uh, bio that you've, you've had an international real estate career. So question number one is what is your favorite country to visit? Oh, I, 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 uh, I think the nice, nice reality is that it's impossible to say, but it's, um, and actually I, I guess I think of it in terms of cities, but, and I'm, my goal in life is actually to, um, maintain more countries than years in life, right? More co- countries visited than years in life. And so far, I'm, I've managed are to- Are you ahead? To, are you ahead I, on that? I, I, I am hol- I'm holding to that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to it. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I love visiting new places too. Um, and of course, professionally, it tends to be, you know, I think about cities and I mean, to, to have lived in, you know, New York, London, Berlin, that's pretty. That's pretty it's great. Up the top. And yeah. And actually, I was born in Boston, Matt. So I can also get credit as as a hometown kid yeah. for, for, from your perspective. Check the so. check the box on that one. Yeah. Nice. All right. Well, you didn't name a country, but we'll let you off the hook on that one. Um, uh, corollary question number two is: Do you speak more than one language? If so, what is it? I do. I actually grew up. I, I was a I was first American born, so I grew up uh, with German and Spanish when I was a kid. And I always thought that was pretty irrelevant. You know, I was like motivated through most, yeah, through through all my education to just be the all-American kid, you know. And and uh, so it's sort of ironic that uh, yeah, I ended up spending a big chunk of my career overseas. And actually, then I realized our kids were were both born in uh, in Europe, one in Berlin, one in London. And in in my family, on on one side anyway, for four successive generations, actually, the the new generation's been born on a different continent than the prior oh. generation. So. I guess it, uh, I never thought of being a nomad as being genetic, but, but I guess it's possible. So. <laughs> you got to keep that trend going in the family. Yeah. Um, question three, uh, superhero question. Would you rather be able to fly or have Superman type strength? I think I'd love to be able to fly. Yeah. That yeah. Cause then you can go to all these cities and countries whenever you want. Right. But yeah, but to fly fast too, like yeah, really fast. Yeah, you had to fly at least as an air, at least as fast as a. So as long as yeah, Superman. Yeah, you don't think of his strength being the thing that makes him fly really fast, but so I'd take whatever that is to fly fast. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good good trade off. Besides traveling and making sure that you um, visit more countries than your age uh, when you die, what what else? What else? One thing is on your bucket list. Look, I, I just, I, I'm very energized by ideas, right? I love the process of engaging with ideas. And of course, people who, the smartest people recognize there's very, very few ideas that are truly unique. So ideas, ideas get grow stronger, right? Through engagement with other people, right? So that process of, of collaboration, of creation of, and especially as it starts to take form and, and you see values start to form, that, that to me is just really exciting. I, I love that. And uh, I see continuing to, to engage with that work, you know, in, in lots of different ways. But, um, and that is really what I'm really enjoying these days, too. Cool. So. Yeah, you're in the thick of it, which is awesome. Um, last question. Who are two people that you think would be interesting guests on the show? Hmm. Well, I guess you, you're not going to get Elon Musk, I guess. But, you know, you never know. would he be? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, um, hmm. on this show, I think. Actually, yeah, I think it would be very interesting for you to have Jeff Bezos on the show. And 
I'm not going to go with Elon Musk. I, I will. Uh, <laughs> I'll punt the second one because that's a too obvious answer. But well, those are two beasts. So I think our producer Amanda will have her work cut out for her trying to schedule those. But you know, you got to shoot high. I think you should go. All right, second one then should be J Lo. J Lo. But yeah. Yeah, she's probably got some good prop tech perspective. Yeah. 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 She probably has a portfolio of assets that she's managing too. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, Michael, this has been great. Thanks for joining us. It's it's great to see you again. You know, we should like all of these conversations, we should revisit them from time to time because we we've made a lot of uh observations, predictions, assumptions on what where we think the world is going. So, we'd love to have you back on again sometime and see if we can uh, validate or invalidate some we'll of these, see how uh, wrong, these thoughts. How wrong I was. See how wrong so, we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, Michael, thanks so much. Right, we appreciate your time. Good to see you. Thanks. Good to see you. Bye-bye.